This is The Medical Beat on 97.1 FM Talk. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. You're listening to The Medical Beat, 97.1 FM Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and we have with us here today uh, Dr. Jessica Whalen. Say hi, Dr. Whalen. Hi. Hello. Hey, glad to have you with us today. Yeah. Hey, and we also have Chad, the soundboard guy. Say hi, Chad. How's it going? It's going okay. We're going to be uh, looping Chad into the conversation, preferably when it's awkward, just because that's fun <laughs> sometimes. And uh, we're going to have a great show today. Hey, so today we're going to talk about the topic that has kind of consumed everybody's life recently. And that topic is, duh, COVID-19. Um well, what we're hoping to do is to offer some fresh perspective and uh, and ho- hopefully get you some new information uh, that you might not have gotten uh, from whatever, you know, that you might not have heard from the mainstream media. It might be different than whatever that garbage is you've been consuming on Facebook and, and things like that. So so we're hoping uh, hoping to get you some, some, some good information today that you might not have known about. Um, so I think... The, the first thing we're going to go over is, uh, is some reports that have come in from numerous hospitals all around the country that they've had a big, that since the beginning of the COVID pandemic, there's been a huge decrease in the number of people who are showing up to the emergency room with heart attacks and strokes. And, and this is not, not just a few hospitals, but a lot of hospitals. And the decrease is large. It's Some are reporting it's like 50% less, 30% less. It's, it's a pretty big decrease. Wow. So, uh, yeah, right. So, so, the, so the first question is, is what up with that? So, 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 Jessica, what do you think? What do you think the deal is with that? Well, I don't think they're just uh, dying at home. Um, I actually no? think it's probably multifactorial. Yeah. And I probably already have lots of opinions on this. I love it when is... you use big words like multifactorial. <laughs> this is what yeah. I heard somebody that was listening to me the other day. They're like, you're such a nerd. And I'm like, great. I get to bring the nerdiness to the show. That's what that's I was going five for. Syllables. Oh. That's five syllables. That's five syllables. That's... That is, uh, that's two syllables over the threshold for this show. But please continue. Please continue. <laughs> so um, I actually think a big part of it, if a more people have been staying home, and uh-huh. I know from at least my patients in practice, a lot of them are saying they can't get out as much. So they've actually been a lot less active. And we know one of the things yeah. that's going to trigger someone, sadly, that is uh-huh. right on the edge of having a heart attack because we hear about it, the person that was having sex that... Uh-huh. ends up going because they got thrown into a heart attack or the person right. that's running or they were at work lifting or straining. If you got to go, that's a good like way that. to go, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the preferable one out yeah. of the scenarios they gave. But I think because there is some less activity that we're having less people that are being triggered into them. Now we should all exercise uh-huh. definitely because that lowers our risk, but um, uh-huh. the actual activities being lessened, I think are, th- uh-huh. are triggering less people. Um uh-huh less work, um, people being at home more, I think they're encountering less stress, actually. Everybody that I've talked to, even though they're saying they're kind of anxious and they wish they could get out, in the Uh reality, when I'm talking to my patients, they talk about feeling anxious, but there's this less pervasive sense of overwhelming um, dread and where I can just tell they're in the rat race. Um, 
and they all said they're sleeping more hours. The amount of sleep oh. is substantial. And we know that lack of sleep really uh -huh. drives the cardiovascular risk exponentially. Right. And I've been saying for years that the problem in America is really our overwork, underpay, less time with family. And right, that is right. something that COVID has done for us, sadly, is brought us closer in home where uh -huh. uh, many of us are not working as many hours at the office or yeah. some of us sadly are not working. Um, right. But yeah. there's, there's more ability for some people getting more sleep, more rest. Yeah. Yeah. And more time. And that, and, yeah. And that's a, that, that can make a huge difference there. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, you know, my, my thoughts were kind of different on that. I mean, there is a part of me that was kind of skeptical of the idea that people are suddenly having that much fewer heart attacks and stuff. I mean, maybe you're right, but my, my thought is maybe a lot of people are just scared to go to the emergency room. So if they have chest pain, then they just, mm -hmm. you know, have their heart attack in the privacy of their own home. And the next morning they call their doctor, you know, 12 hours after their heart attack. And just go in to see their regular doctor instead of going to the emergency room. I guess it could be either one. You know, maybe people are having fewer heart attacks or or maybe people are just avoiding the emergency room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they could be yeah. also, I know telemedicine has been starting to take off more. Um, I think yeah. some people are starting to check in. Um, one of the things is I am trying to get my patients to check in more frequently via telemedicine so that they keep up on symptoms. Um, mm -hmm. before they start to happen. So I think maybe they're actually being better about trying to monitor what's going on. Um, I think people have actually been more invested in their health the past couple of months and they've been hyper aware of their medicines and what they're taking just because they uh -huh. don't want to get sick. I know a right, lot of my right. patients who have their chronic health conditions for certain, my COPD patients, they have mm -hmm. been on it. I have never seen them be so compliant with their meds. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah. And they're yeah, like, yeah. I stopped smoking. They've like all been like, wow. the past five weeks, I'm a champ. And I'm like, yes, you do that. You keep it up. Good um, for them. So, all right. uh, I've been impressed with some of my patients and they've really uh, taken active control of really trying to be on top of some of their chronic chronic health conditions oh. and so yeah. i'm i'm trying to take the yeah. the positive approach that maybe some of them are are checking in uh yeah. more via via the alternate methods that have come out since medicare allowed phone check-ins and i know in our area we have the bjc uh, uh group which is fairly large that's uh, doing phone reach outs and a lot of virtual visits and mercy as well yeah. so i yeah. think people are are trying to check in with their practitioners that way around here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess one, one, one thing we should probably mention is, and this is, this is also uh, something like the official recommendation uh, from the American Heart Association is that if you, if you think you might be having a heart attack or a stroke, but if you think you might be having a heart attack, then, you know, for heaven's sake, go, go to the emergency room or, or do whatever you would have done if you know before the COVID-19 pandemic if you if you think you might be having a heart attack you certainly should not be afraid uh, to go to the emergency room because you know every uh, every hour that goes by is is potentially more dead heart tissue and more and uh, less recovery so uh, the, the sooner you get to the emergency room the better but 
Anyway, hey, I hear music playing in the background, and that is Chad giving us a big old hint that we've got to go off the air. So, not, not off the air, but off the commercial break. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about hydroxychloroquine. We'll be back. Can't touch this. Look, man, can't touch this. You better get a hype, boy, because you know you can't. You can't touch this. Hey, this is Jill from the Container Store. Oh. Is there something wrong? I just thought a virtual designer would be a cool robot. I could do a robot voice if that helps. Maybe. Hi, I am Jill. Let's design. Nope, absolutely not. Regular voice, thank you. Yeah, I'm not good at impressions. Enjoy free virtual in-home closet design and up to 25% off closet systems with the Container Store's custom closet sale. The Container Store, where space comes from. You're listening to The Medical Beat. All right. Hey, we're back. Uh, I'm Hello. your host, Doc. Hello. Hi. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. We have co-host, Jessica, Dr. Jessica Whalen here also. And we also have Chad, the soundboard guy. And uh, for this part, we're going to talk about uh, the science behind uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine uh, as potential treatments for uh, for COVID-19. Uh, so let's, uh, we're going to have a moment of science. And now for a moment of science. science. A moment of science. Yes. Yes, science. Science, but not brothers silence. and sisters. Yes. What's that? <laughs> not silence. <laughs> yes. That's true. It's not silent. Yeah, not not silence, <laughs> but science. Yes. Did you like that sound effect there, Jessica? Did you like that? I do. I love the organ behind yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. The, the the radio station did that for me. I really like it. So yeah. So that, I thought that's kind of cool. So so we're going to have a moment of science, and uh, we're going to talk about chlor. Again, we're going to talk about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine as potential treatments uh, for people suffering uh, from COVID nineteen. So. A little memory refresher uh, for everybody first. So both of these drugs are, or th these drugs are for, uh, have been used for a long time for other stuff. And that other stuff includes rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, malaria, and, uh, and a bunch of other rare stuff also, but mostly arthritis, lupus, or malaria. And one thing about these drugs is, if they work for COVID-19, then that would be a really great thing for a lot of different reasons. And the, the first reason is that these drugs have been around a long time, so their safety profile is well known. We, we Doctors know what the side effects are. They've been prescribing them for a while, so there's not, there's not going to be surprises as far as side effects. And the other thing is, since they've been around so long, the drugs are relatively cheap, you know, like in the ballpark of $25 a month or something like that. So these are, these are relatively cheap, cheap drugs. Um, the drugs showed some encouraging results with some small uh, initial studies. Uh, later, those small initial studies turned out to be not, not quite as promising as we originally thought. So that kind of left things in limbo. And then very recently, just a few days ago, in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, was published a, uh, 
probably the largest and best study so far of using hydroxychloroquine um, for COVID-19. Let me tell you just a little bit about how that study worked. Uh, it was uh, done in a large hospital in uh, northern Manhattan, where, as you can imagine, there was sadly no shortage of people suffering uh, from COVID-19. Uh, they looked at um, 811 patients who got hydroxychloroquine, and they looked at 565 patients who did not. And all of these were patients who were sick enough that they had to be in the hospital. So these weren't just average COVID-19 patients. These were people who were somewhat more sick than average. And, and what they looked at is they looked at in both, in each of these groups, uh, how many of them died and how many of them got bad enough that they had to be put on a ventilator. And uh, without, without going through too many of the details, the bottom line here is that in this large um, observational study, they could not find any difference in the two groups. As far as they could tell, um, the hydroxychloroquine did not make things any better. So that's a bummer. Hmm. Does that make you sad? It sad. really does. Um, but at the same time, I know I have had quite a few patients with the um, autoimmune conditions that were quite afraid because it was given out in such amounts that they were worried yeah. that we were going to have a shortage, actually, of medication right. for patients with RA and lupus, as frequently yeah. happens, especially when medicines are generic in the, in the U.S., and right, so yeah. the pain community was quite worried about this. Um, and yeah. I think if we're I, looking I, at the fact with the inflammation, I know in my practice, I've been with my patients that uh, we've been bumping up a lot with the antioxidant therapies because they're similar in line mm -hmm. with some of the studies that have been going on looking at uh, antiretrovirals. There's been things looking at antioxidants, things like CoQ10 and looking at cordyceps and some of these other antioxidants that actually help deliver oxygen um, or help the cells get oxygen better in the system. Since yeah. there's seemingly more and more reports that this isn't an issue, that even the ventilators may be causing more of a problem because of the way they're forcing the oxygen on. It's more of this delivery system and the inflammation that we need to be addressing. I think um, yeah. it's good that we have these studies coming out looking at alternative pathways. And I just actually read yeah. one on Medscape the other day of blood thinners. And I was actually trying to look at things like nitric oxide and um, medications like nabivalol and some of the um, vasodilating um, agents yeah. to see where we're at with those in helping um, yeah. these patients with COVID. Yeah, and I, th I think that that's one interesting thing with the pandemic is we suddenly, uh, you know, we suddenly have a situation where a lot of the science world is focusing its attention on one thing all at the same time. So mm -hmm. we, we get to see science moving pretty quickly. So I'm hoping, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that they find some better treatments or find, I, and I think they will, really. I, I think they're going to find, uh, you know, much better ways uh, to treat people with uh, with COVID, and I think one one thing I should point out also is that you know, with the hydrochloroquine, it's really not totally over for that because um, 
that this study was not a perfect study. And really, I mean, to their credit, the people who published the study, they themselves were very clear about what the imperfections were, you know, so it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not like a flawed study. It's just, you know, they, they, they had several paragraphs where they're like, well, you know, here, here are the imperfections in our study. Um, so it's possible that future better studies might still show some benefit uh, with uh, mm-hmm. hydroxychloroquine. And, uh, you know, maybe if people get it before they're super sick, then maybe that will work better. Uh, and the NIH has uh, two two studies that are ongoing now. They, they started them in April. I'm not sure when they're going to be finished. I, I hope we get to see results soon. But the, uh, the NIH, the, the National Institutes of Health, um, has launched their own, a couple of their own studies, which I think will be bigger and better than the study they did in Columbia. So I think we'll have a, an even better idea of whether it's thumbs up or thumbs down. So we'll stay tuned for that, you know? Yes, I'm very interested yeah. to see what it starts bringing down more of the pipes. Um, I had said a while ago uh, that it was operating much more in the wheelhouse of almost like carbon monoxide poisoning and more in the autoimmune space a while back when I was talking with colleagues. And it's funny, it's like the science always just seems to, you'll get in these studies like three weeks later that start to come out, that start to show that. Um, But we just need the, when these studies do come out and people are like, oh no, it's failed. They just need to tweak some design and then we'll usually, that's all, sometimes all it takes. So I don't look at it as a complete failure. It's moving us still in the right direction. Yeah, I think so. You know, and it might, and it might be a complete failure. And if it is, then we'll just, we can move on. We can focus our attention to other options, you know? So, so yeah. So science, in science, even negative findings are valuable, you know, to figure out this doesn't work. It's still a step forward, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think people, people should also keep in mind, you know, the, that, uh, you know, the chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, I think it's fair to say that they're relatively safe, but it does have quite a few side effects. You know, it has the, uh, the potential cardiac side effects, you know, like VTAC and the, and the prolongation of the QT interval on the EKG and, uh, and other things too. And uh, I think one, one, one thing that everybody might've heard about is that uh, there is this couple, so I forgot somewhere in the U S where they saw chloroquine phosphate uh, for their uh, fish in their aquarium and they consumed it. And, of that couple, one yeah. got very sick and the other one died. So the fish yeah, tank never chloroquine. Yeah. Make, make drugs. <laughs> that's, that's, what, what, yeah, yeah. There's a reason. We meth in the bathtub is a bad idea too. That's that's why we don't drink yeah. our, our fish food or our fish tank supplies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh yeah, so if anyone is thinking about uh drinking or eating their fish tank stuff, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, I, I believe Darwin would have an opinion about that. So just, just don't, don't do that. Yeah. But anyway, but ser- seriously, that that was very <laughs> sad. So, uh, so yeah. But hey, we got to, we got music coming, and that's Chad telling us that it's time for us to go. So we'll be back real soon. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, remdesivir, another drug. And also, we'll probably talk about some uh, effects that COVID-19 has on the heart. We'll be back. 
We're, this is the Medical Beat, 97.1. Listening to the medical beat. All right. Hey, we're back. I'm your host, Hi. Dr. Steve Harvey. Hi. Hi. And we got Dr. Jessica Whalen. And this is the medical beat 97.1 FM talk. And we've been talking today all things COVID 19 because that's, uh, that's a thing. Have you noticed that's been kind of a thing, Dr. Whalen? Yeah, we know you just wanted more because everyone's just been saying, hey, we just want some more COVID-19. Can you just <laughs> right. <tell> more? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I think that's been it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's been kind of consuming everybody's life recently, which is kind of sad. I'm really looking forward to, to moving past this. But, hey, but before, before I talk about the next COVID-19 topic, let me um, – let me ask, so, so Jessica, when this whole COVID pandemic is over, what are you looking forward to doing that you can't do now? Um, okay, so I'm kind of a closet introvert, so ah. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> so you're, you're just going to stay introverted in your closet? Uh, well, no, I'm going to have to get back out there. But uh, I am actually, I do, I miss, I talk about drugs a lot. I go out and I educate about yeah. drugs. So I, I'm, I'm missing uh -huh. that. So I am missing miss doing all that. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh yeah, that's a good answer. I, I, I was just thinking I want to go out for Mexican food again. Oh, well, Mexican is pretty delicious. Mexican is delicious. <laughs> yeah. And I asked, I asked Chad, this Chad, the soundboard guy, I've asked him before. I forgot what his answer was. I, but let me see if he has a different answer. So, Chad, how about you? When all this is over, what do you want to do? Well, the first time you asked, I already said that I was ready to go use my voucher for a limp. Oh, for the limp restaurant at the limp mansion. Ooh, but that right, that good. does sound good. But yeah, right that sounds now, good. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to start starting back to event plan. Like I miss that a lot. Oh, mm. that's right. That's that's like your other gig, isn't it? Event planning. Yeah. Yeah, event planning, right? Because because no one's having events, right? No, we had uh, a total of three events canceled um, that were supposed to happen in May. Uh, they, they hurt, but it's yeah. It's oh, bummer. So so you're down to one job instead of two, I guess. Yep. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> one stream. Sorry of, to hear that, Chad. One oh. stream of income, but I have plenty of talents that help me uh, make a little side money. So it's been fine. Right. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's God. good. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So we're all we're all looking forward to this uh, this pandemic being over and done. And so, so there, there's a few paths. I mean, it's certainly not going to just disappear on its own anytime soon. And so, one thing we're all hoping for is a is a, is a vaccine, but that could be a very long way away. And the other thing we're hoping for is better treatments for it. You know, just imagine if we could take a pill and make the COVID infection go away, or at least, at least if we had a medicine where if someone got really badly sick with COVID-19, that they would have a much lower chance of dying or would, would be 
at least a, at least something we could rescue the super sick with, you know, at, at least if we had that. And so earlier in the show, we talked about hydroxychloroquine and that that medicine is probably not going to be the, the, the super medicine we were hoping for. Um, there, there's another medicine on there. There's a lot of possibilities out there. There's a lot of candidates, but the one drug that might be the top candidate now, we're not sure, but it might be the top candidate is remdesivir and remdesivir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And remdesivir is a broad antiviral drug. It was originally developed a long time ago for Ebola. Remember, do you guys remember Ebola? I do. I think I'm yeah. still How in you, high Chad? school when they were talking about that a lot. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> what, are you that young? High school, really? Uh, <laughs> I might oh, have been man. younger, but... <laughs> oh, you're making me feel so old. You were in high school when they were talking about Ebola? I might have been oh, younger, but... <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, well, I did not need to know that. All right. <laughs> just, teasing. just teasing. Okay. Yeah. So that was, uh, yeah. So I, I'm old enough to remember Ebola and I was an adult when we, Ebola was a thing. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so the remdesivir, remdesivir, it did work for Ebola, but I think pretty soon after they invented uh, remdesivir, they came out with other treatments for Ebola, and those other treatments turned out to be better than remdesivir. So, so really, remdesivir was not used that much uh, for Ebola. But anyway, so now it's a, it's it's a possible treatment to uh, to hold back the virus that causes COVID nineteen, uh, and probably the uh, probably the one best trial that they had for remdesivir looked pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. It was, it was a randomized trial. And by randomized, you know, you took all those patients and you, and you randomly assorted them into one group of people who gets the drug and another group of people who gets placebo, fake drug, and the doctors treating them and the patients don't know who's getting the real drug and who's not getting the real drug. So there's no, so there's very, very little bias very little opportunity for bias or fudging or anything like that. So it was a randomized controlled trial of more than a thousand patients and they compared uh, remdesivir to placebo. And the main thing they looked at was just, you know, when they were in the hospital, how long does it take them to recover and to recover enough that they get sent home? And and basically the, the result was, uh, for the people who got the fake drug, it averaged about 15 days before they could go home. And for people who got the real drug, it was about 11 days. So off the top of my head, I'm thinking it looks like it really is helping. It really is doing something. It's far short of being a miracle drug, but it, it looks like it's doing something. They also had a, a lower death rate, although with the sample size, it was was not not did not quite have statistical significance, but I, I think it probably did actually decrease the death rate somewhat. Um, so that's that's the story on on remdesivir, and I guess the where we go from here is they might have you know you know even bigger better studies, or they might also check to see if you know maybe it would help more in patients if they uh, if they give it to them. Sooner, like the the drug they give for uh, for the flu, for example, you know it works best if you give it soon instead of giving it when someone is super sick. Yeah, so so maybe exactly. uh, 
Yeah. So, so, so possibly the same thing is going to be true, uh, true for remdesivir. So I'm really hoping we get better information. I think that's probably that a big on. part of it because yeah, with the viral yeah. load, that's part of that's the big importance with these antiretrovirals is getting it yeah. in early. Yeah. Um, so if they weren't starting the course early enough, then it's probably not going to make that that same amount of difference. And it's interesting because I had patients actually asking for this medication probably uh, two months before uh, COVID actually came to the U.S. They were um, asking for remdesivir? Officially. Really? Yes. Really? Because it oh was out of uh, Canada. So oh, yeah. um, good luck getting they were that, asking me to know? prescribe it. And uh, being in the lovely state of Missouri, I am and collaborator I had, I couldn't write it. But um, uh, I couldn't get it to them. But I had some patients that were actually asking for this medicine because there had been some evidence coming out of other countries that it may have been helpful. So I am hopeful that they actually start doing some more research into this one and giving it to patients a little earlier in the game on some studies, see where yeah. it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there, there's no doubt that they're going to be doing more studies. And I guess it looks, I think, I think now it, it looks like almost a sure thing that the drug does something, but I guess what they have to figure out is, you know, how much good is it doing? And um, is there something we can do to make it work better? You know, maybe mm -hmm. bigger dose would work better. Giving it earlier, would that work better? You know, how much, uh, how much good can we get out of this? Yeah. So I've certainly, certainly got my, got my hopes up some for that one. Or at least yeah. getting toward one, some kind of antiretroviral of, of some sort would be would be helpful to try and uh, stay the course and, and even though it doesn't sound like a lot four days in the hospital or four days on a ventilator um, when we're talking about pressure in the lungs and things like that actually can make or break the difference for some patients and their outcomes oh, yeah. so each day in the oh, hospital yeah. um, substantially um, decreases your likelihood of better outcomes and success so each day that we can shave off of a hospitalization obviously uh, is substantial. Oh yeah. And it, and it kind of proves, proves that they're getting better faster. So that's a, so that's a really big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So but that's, that's the story on remdesivir. And I think, um, something, uh, I guess, you know, another topic we want to talk about, and I think we're getting kind of close to the break here. So we'll just, we'll just go over this one pretty quickly, but, uh, there's a lot of recent evidence that, uh, COVID-19, you know, we think of it as as a disease that affects the lungs, but actually COVID and COVID-19, obviously the, the lungs are the main manifestation, but COVID-19 also has effects on, among other things, the heart. In very, very rare cases, it can cause inflammation of the heart muscle itself, um, which is, you know, something we, we, we see in other germs or in other, other pathogens. And... Um, also, people who have heart problems to start with, that can, you know, decrease, increase their oxygen demand, decrease their oxygen supply. So other, other, it can be like a huge stress test for the heart. So, yes. uh, so you see cardiac stuff too. But I hear music playing, and assuming that those are not auditory hallucinations, it's probably Chad. <laughs> it's probably Chad That's playing the music. Yes, yes. If you hear it too, then I'm good. So yeah, I hear it too. Good. Okay. So uh, we'll be back and we're going to talk about the politics of COVID, the politics of COVID, well, sort of, <laughs> the politics of COVID-19. <laughs> so don't cringe too hard. It'll be okay. We'll be back.
Continental drifted by mountains, sit in a line, Leonard Bernstein, Leonard Brass, Nap, Lenny Bush, and Lester Banks, birthday party, cheesecake, jelly bean, boom, symbiotic, patriotic, slam, button, nap. You're listening to The Medical Beat. We're back. 97.1 FM Talk. You're listening to The Medical Beat. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. We have Dr. Jessica Whalen. Say hi, Dr. Whalen. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hey, so we're all here and we're talking about uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, which is obviously uh, the big the big thing these days. And so occasionally, just every once in a while on this show, uh, we kind of we kind of uh, drift toward the topic because sometimes medicine overlaps with politics. So sometimes we kind of, I kind of wander toward the topic of politics and it's kind of like, kind of like when you have a toddler at home with something, with something metal in their hand and they're <laughs> wandering toward the electrical outlet, you know, <laughs> you got to be careful like, with that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like that toddler wandering toward the electrical outlet with something with like a butter knife or something like that. that, that that's like me kind of uh, bringing Stay up away. politics on the show. <laughs> I know. Stay away, Steve. Don't do it. Don't do it. But, <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. But I think, I think, I think this, this particular thing will be, uh, will, will not be cringy. It, it, it's, it's cool. It's okay. There was a, there was a, I think the thing that caught my attention was a recent story in 538.com where they look at uh, some recent surveys that were done, basically comparing Republicans versus Democrats and what they thought about uh, various aspects of the pandemic. Now, now part of the results turned out to be pretty much what people would think when they ask questions like, you know, do you think the government is closing things down too much? Or do you think the government is doing approximately the right thing? Or do you think the government should be opening things up more than they are? When they ask those things, then it's pretty much what you would have expected, you know, where Democrats were more likely to say that things were about right, or maybe they should shut things down more. And Republicans were more likely to say they should open things up more. It was not a huge difference, but it was, you know, but, but the difference was definitely there. And then if they ask another question, if they ask, you know, what do you personally think that you personally should be doing or, or what are you doing? What precautions are you taking as far as frequent hand washing, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. When they ask those questions, they could find zero difference based on political party, where, you know, if someone was a Democrat or someone was a Republican, they pretty much had the same on the average. They had pretty much the same opinion about about what they should be doing. And and that's kind of backed up by my uh, by my very unscientific sampling of Facebook friends <laughs> who are, you know, some of which are hyper conservative and some of whom are hyper liberal and um and i, I was but kind most of most of them are hyper <laughs> yeah <laughs> like exactly yeah well the ones that post more tend to be hyper one or the other but uh but yeah so they they tended to kind of agree you know even people who are the opposite of me were kind of on the same page as me um you know for for, for those sort of topics so so that that's one thing where we can all breathe a sigh of relief and in, in, in this divided uh in these uh, you know, uh, partisan divided times, we can say, well, at least, at least we all pretty much agree on that. And then as far as, far as the number of people who have 
uh, more of a conspiratorial view or who think this all a big hoax. There's really, it's really a pretty, a very small number who, who actually think that in, on either side of the, the political aisle. But I think, I think another part of the divide and, and Jessica and I were talking about this during the, sometimes our best discussion is during the commercial break. So uh, sorry, <laughs> you guys missed out on that. See if we just didn't play commercials, all this would be go broke, but <laughs> But yeah, yeah. But anyway, anyway. Uh, so what we were talking about also was kind of the divide between the city people or the city population and the rural population, where the, the attitudes would understandably, you know, you know, here in St. Louis, where it's a significant problem, versus you know, my my hometown, where you know, in Phelps County, there's two cases, you know? So I guess it's yeah. no surprise that we see it differently than the people in the rural mm -hmm. areas do, because it is different, you know? So what, yeah. what have you noticed as far as city versus rural? And we've been talking about that, especially on the, the larger agencies. And I'm, I'm part of the political action committee on um, the Missouri Nurses Association. And one of the biggest things is with the rural communities really pushing to open everything up again. I think what the, what the biggest fear is for those of us in the city and most of my friends being in P's working on the front lines, um, a lot of them working either the call lines, a lot of them working on the floors, uh, they're, they're seeing the reality and the COVID units are full with the patients from the city. And so if yeah. we opened everything back up, jobs again, things like that, if the rural counties start coming in and they start getting the infections and bringing it out back into the rural communities, we actually don't have the beds to support the patients um, yeah. from the rural communities. And I think that's where the biggest fear is. And of course, out there, they're not seeing that because they're not seeing the sickest of the sick patients. And they're not yeah. seeing like my friends who are contracting COVID without PPE or the proper PPE coming into our state. And they're not having to see that because they're not here in, in the mix of the city hospitals and everything else, which is where they would have to come to get treated. So they're right. kind of separated from all of this. Um, and I think that's where kind of the real issue is, is really yeah. more amongst that. I, I, I think so. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I think with the, with the COVID pandemic so far, you know, I mean, at first, at first it was all like, Oh, it's just a China thing. It's just in China. And then it's like, well, okay, it's in Washington State, but nowhere else. And then, oh, it's Washington and New York City. And okay, now it's in St. Louis. And you know, pretty likely the the next step is going to be that it's it's out there in the rural areas because uh, you know, mm -hmm. no no difference in biology. I mean, I, I guess they they might be spaced out a little better than we are here in yes. the city. But uh, other than that, I think. Uh, well, I would say that, and you could yeah. even see out where I am in West County, I always joke, we got hit hard and we didn't do a very good job reporting our numbers, probably because mm -hmm. we probably didn't want to, but I always joke that it was the people who thought that they could buy off COVID. Right, uh, right, that's why we exactly. got hit hardest first. Um, yeah. So they just figured, ah, screw social distancing. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not going to happen to me. Uh, yeah. Well, that got proven otherwise. So right. um, I know at least the area hospitals around here, the ones that I usually refer patients to, I've actually been steering them away because I'm like, actually, the most cases are at the, the hospitals that I live near. So, oh, yeah. um, which is out in the counties, um, 
or what would be West County in our St. Louis area. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to, so hopefully, uh, hopefully the rural areas will continue to do well and we'll continue to not have that many cases of COVID-19. Anyway, so here, hey, we got, we got the music playing. We got my little alarm thing going. That means Chad needs to, needs to take us out here. So, uh, hey, everybody, uh, stay safe, help each other, wash your hands, wear a mask when you're supposed to, don't touch your face, all those things. Keep safe, yeah. keep your fingers crossed for a vaccination, treatment, all those things. Let's get all this done. I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really tired of this COVID thing, and uh, hopefully it'll be done soon. But hey, we'll be back next week. We want to thank all of you for joining us. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Whalen. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You bet. You bet. All right. I'll see you all next week. Stop. All right. Bye-bye. If you try All that I want from you, my son That last song was dedicated to everyone who missed it because they were in the bathroom changing their tampon. And the next 12 hours of songs are for anyone who's trying the Diva Cup for the first time and is currently kicking back with uninterrupted period protection. Sound good to you? Check out the world's number one menstrual cup for yourself at shopdiva.com and get 10% off with code RADIO10. Conditions apply.